Mountaineer Nation, come on into the couch. Another therapy session, a Texas Tech terrible therapy, but also a breakdown of Baylor. Continue to trust that climb. We're so close. We can feel it. You got to hang on for a little bit longer. I know a lot of people are in panic mode right now, but it's always darkest before the dawn, like you said, in the dark night. So you guys know what to do. If it's in the morning, grab the coffee, feel stout. If it's in the evening, grab the drink. Come on back because we're going to talk all things about this Texas Tech thing, the therapy that we have to go through, a Baylor breakdown, also some listener questions, and a look toward the future here on the porch. Let's go. Say, how the crowd? How the crowd look on TV Saturday? I, it, it looked good. I mean, the stadium was was striped out. It it looked good. I mean, looked you know. I mean, sometimes you come into those games and sometimes you see still fans kind of filtering in. But man, it, it looked packed from the from the opening kickoff. So it was that. I mean, was the atmosphere? Did, did it come off on TV as if it was a pretty intense, loud atmosphere? Because it, it felt like it there. I just kind of wanted to know how how it came off on television. Yeah, I mean, it definitely did um, on the TV side of things. Um, I mean, it, it sounded loud, um, sounded intense. Um, you know, I mean, even, even when they came back from halftime, I mean, the crowd was still, you know, very much in it. You, I mean, you could hear the boos, you know, as they went into halftime. But, I mean, you, you could hear the crowd. I mean, you, it was definitely could tell that they were there. They were loud and they were um, boisterous. Yeah, and, and me and Zach did our part to not have the, the strike be uh, as uh, <laughs> efficient as possible. Hello, yeah, bros. I fi- I, yeah, I figured you guys Hello, were just looking for the for the for the where's Waldo with you two. I was told by uh, the press box team at the power that that we were on TV. Yeah, I need I was to told. go check that out. Yeah, so you heard the same thing. No, you told me at the game. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're yeah, okay. You're right. I don't know. I, I thought maybe you kind of got some similar intel there. No, I would have expected my wife to tell me maybe they weren't paying attention. Might have been scarfing down some <laughs> cafe or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, you never know. If you or, guys I mean, were I if you guys were, I definitely missed it, but Yeah. I, I think they said it was either end of the second quarter, or beginning of the third. Supposedly when when we were uh had our like three seconds of fame. Nice. I I buy it too because I know we were trying to get everybody riled up there when it was seventeen nothing. I know I know I got a few looks in the uh, the stands after I was like they don't want none after it was seventeen to seven. I, I think you might have been one of them, Zach. Oh no, I was right behind you, literally <laughs> and figuratively. I was exactly. I was right. <laughs> I was I was right in that same camp. They we had them right where we wanted them. Until we didn't, but at the time, definitely. Yeah, I mean, so let's let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and rip the bandaid off. A uh, once again, another freaking therapy. We're in treatment. Um, a terrible Texas Tech therapy. Um, zero and three now in his career for, is Neil Brown against 
against the Red Raiders. Uh, I mean, Zach, I, I feel like me and you are probably going to be similar in our opinions just because we watched from a similar perspective and similar game. I kind of want to get CJ's take first, and then we'll uh, then we'll go over to you, Zach. Not even giving me the chance to defer. Just jumping right in. I'm not this time, buddy. <laughs> typically, typically I will, but th- this time I feel like we're going to be very similar here. So I want to hear what uh, what CJ has to say here to go to, to get us kicked off. Yeah, it, it was a very frustrating first half to watch. Um, yeah, I mean, you get the early turnover, you feel like everything like it, it, it had that feeling like, all right, here we go. This is where it's going to, and it just they looked flat. They looked like they had no energy. I made the comment. Uh, to even halftime, my exact words were freaking Oklahoma is going to get us twice. Yeah. And, you know, and to, to be on social media at halftime and to hear, you know, Neil, oh, I'm pissed off. And it was like, you were pissed off two years ago. What the hell? We were promised this wouldn't happen. Like, I was livid. Um, and to see the way they responded in the second half is, it was a good thing. Um, left it feeling kind of hopeful. I mean, it, it sucks that you lose that way again. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it reminded me back to what we said after the Oklahoma game. Like, the process and the climb is, okay, you're in these close games. Now now you got to figure out a way to win them, right, to make that one additional play that, that is the difference between losing a close one-possession game and winning that one-possession game. It's like the, uh, it's like the you know, the Pacino speech. I mean – yeah, I mean, it's six pitches in front of your face. I mean, we're that yeah, close right now. It, it was, and and I don't know. You guys might have a different feeling on it. I just felt like their last drive, and I would have liked to have seen a little bit of offensive pass interference on that big touch, on that big catch. But I mean, I get why you don't call it there. It's it's very rarely called. Um, but I felt like. Our usage of timeouts there late on that didn't seem right. I don't know Again. if you guys CJ, we didn't have anybody. We already took well, two in the red zone. Yeah, I don't know. It just it felt like and and some of those are, are personnel crap, which is frustrating, but I don't know. It just it, this is the frustrating part of the climb, and this is the one where I think fans have got to understand that this this is the hard part. Like we've yep. reached we've reached the part of it that's kind of tough. It, it's this young team learning how to, to win these type of games it, and it's not easily done. And my worry is, is that as it keeps happening, does eventually, does it work itself the other way where it's like, Oh my God, here we go again. But at some point you're going to come out on top of one of these and that's just going to start everything running the right way. It's just getting over this part of the hump. Why not be Saturday? Right, exactly. And so, you know, the way they responded made me feel like, okay, maybe Oklahoma doesn't get them twice. Maybe they came out and just kind of – sometimes you get those lackadaisical starts. Uh, Do that again Saturday against Baylor, and, you know, that that could get ugly quickly. That's that's a huge point of that, um, that climb, the part of the climb you mentioned. The hope is that this is the steepest part of the hill. And that you're really climbing to get those last few feet to really start to try and hit close to the peak, you know, like you're trying to scratch and claw and find ways to be in every game, but you got to learn how to win them. We're in the, we're in the, pro- the Tom Petty process. We're learning to fly, right? Yeah. We <laughs> are learning to fly. 
And I need them wings. <laughs> so we're hopefully getting close to that point, but it's exactly. just frustrating you know what because else? It, keeps, it keeps happening. Like it's happened time and time again this season in such an early part of the season. And I hate to say this, I think this year is the the song might epitomize it even better than than we even even meant it to. What comes up must come down, and I think we were up against Oklahoma, and we were down in the first half there against Texas Tech, um, and then we were up again in the second half, right? So until we were down after that big play by Kalen Geiger, I mean, you know what's crazy about that play? Let's, let's I mean, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves with that, um, but I mean. That was a prayer and a heave, and we all know it was. He just turned the right way. Porter Jr. turned the, the incorrect way, and that's what happened. Yeah, if Porter, if Porter had turned his head, he could have just as easily made the same play, which would have turned the tide in a big way. And I think CJ made a good point in saying that Oklahoma might have beaten us twice because I kind of had a similar thought. Like, maybe you come out flat, especially defensively. They were nickel and dominant us. We talked about it the whole time, Blaine. That first half. Texas Tech was absolutely just picking us apart little by little, death by a thousand cuts. And our defense really didn't do anything about it. We didn't press them. We didn't get after them. We weren't bringing any pressure or anything like that. Columbia just sat there and picked us apart. So that's – it might have been a hangover from Oklahoma. I mean, you put so much effort into the game like that. But you kind of hope after a game like that when you come home that you have a little bit of energy, you've got your crowd behind you. You could see a start like that in a first half on another road game right after a road game in Norman. But you kind of hope when you go home, it's not as likely to happen. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case this time around. Yeah. I, you know, Zach, I honestly think had it been in maybe another opponent in the league, I think mm. that might have been – it could have been different. A lot um, of pressure around the Red Raiders. Yeah. And and I think to some extent, Texas Tech's just not that, that sexy name, right? I mean, how many people did you know that had a chance to go Saturday that maybe didn't go? I mean – Right. It, it was one of those things where, and now, you know, obviously everyone has their own circumstances and everything happens, but it didn't feel like that was a big game, right? It felt like it was, you know, if you knew about when well, your football and you knew what was going on this season, it was a huge game, a very important game. Yeah. But it wasn't that ultra sexy game. It wasn't Texas. It wasn't Gundy and Oklahoma State. It wasn't Brock Purdy and I. Was, it was just, this is Texas Tech. And we kind of expected to win the game. I mean, a seven-point favorite prior to the game. But it was de- it was death by a thousand slants, Zach, in the first half, and then we kind of, I think, kind of got our heads out of our asses, changed the game plan a little bit, and and started to turn it around a little bit. Obviously, in the second half, and I'd even say we turned it around really quarter, if you think about it. I mean, we were essentially down fourteen nothing at the end of the first quarter, and it could have been even worse because they were having a decent drive before Mahone picked that off on the wide receiver pass. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and CJ, you brought up a great point. Got that pick. It's like, yeah, let's go. This is our day. But the re- the only reason I say it wasn't our day right after that, and I think Zach, you could attest this, the first play right after that at the nine, Letty Brown slips out of the backfield. And if Deggy hits him like he does every other stinking time, Letty Brown might have got a, like a 25-yard pass play on that on that thing. No one was over there. Deggy held it, threw it in the middle in completion. Then you have to punt eventually on a three and out. They get the ball back, continue their momentum got a drive, boom, then you struggle again, boom, you're down 14-0 before Garrett Green gave us some energy, Zach. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to get to him later, but, oh, man, I mean, it was just – it was it was rough. It was a rough start for sure. Um, but I give our team a lot of credit for for the way they responded to that to that rough start. 
um, hopefully that's a, maybe a learning, another part of the learning process in the climb is that you have to bring your A game from the opening whistle every game. Yeah, and sure. we didn't do that on Saturday. And it cost us. I, I yeah. want another comment, too. I'm sorry, CJ, I'll let you get real quick. I want to make one more comment, just piggybacking off something Blaine said. You mentioned that it kind of seemed like a game that everybody thought we were going to win. I don't think that that is just including, you know, the fan base. I would think that the players probably thought the same, especially coming off Oklahoma. You know, you're trying to bounce back. But also, all the guys that Texas Tech was missing. I mentioned in the preview podcast last week, Eric Ezukama, one of the best receivers in the conference, he was out. He was left at home for unknown reasons, at least to me. I never heard why he didn't make the trip. Mm-hmm. The starting center, one of the best centers, one of the best offensive linemen in the conference, didn't play. Multiple other guys, I believe both their starting corners, if I'm not mistaken, didn't play. You think the, you think that our guys didn't know that that was going to happen, that they weren't making the trip? I'm sure that that had effect, some effect on their mentality going in too. And when you kind of – sleep on your opponent that's what happens yep back against the wall and also zach on that point too i mean texas tech they watched the film they saw you know our guys watched the film of tech they give up 70 points to texas i mean that had to be in the back mm-hmm. of their minds all right let's go we got this thing this week they were trying to get and right it, too. and it wasn't one thing i want to bring up though real quick before we kind of get into more kind of i think we're kind of talking it out and we're starting to feel maybe not better by, about it by any means in the imagination, but trying to at least rationalize it a little bit more. I will say the call at the end of the first half on the third and 14, when they got the screen pass and the dude was clearly about two and a half yards out of bounds on that first down spot. Um, that was absolutely crucial in the game. And if we don't get kind of gypped on that call, uh, you know, the ruling on the field stands type of situation here, I'm not so sure we lose this football game because those three points that Texas Tech got at the end of the half to make it 17-0 were absolutely huge in that football game. Yeah, I'm with you. There were some questionable spots, at least from watching it on, you know, on TV and obviously, you know, the camera angles and stuff. Um but no, that was a big one because I kept going. How in the hell do you confirm that? Like, there's no way. It just, it was. Yeah, that I'm with you. That one was bizarre. I mean, because that one, I mean, essentially, instead of being down two touchdowns, you're down three. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when when you're down three possessions in the first half, and it's seventeen nothing. You're just like uh, – and the way they did it, too, you give Tech a lot of credit. I mean, made a couple plays after that, you know, spot they were able to get. And they rushed the field goal team out there to kick it literally with no time on the clock. Impressive and well done by them. But would have been really nice to not have that on the board, only be down 14 nothing, And then at one point in time there in the first third quarter, you would have had the lead. So – and that would have – I think that just changes the whole dynamic if you're able to get over that hump and you have the lead as opposed to – still being tied. Yeah, I agree. And and the other thing too is is and you got to give Texas Tech credit on this too. You know, this comes from, you know, Columbia being smart and then their offensive coordinators is after the pick, they kind of dialed it back down. Like they didn't really, I mean, they took the big play if it was there, but it didn't feel like they were trying to force the big play. Um, and sometimes you can get a little uh, 
trigger finger happy and try and pull that there like they did with on the interception. And then it seemed like after that, they kind of were like, all right, you know what? We'll just dink and dunk them and just take it down the field if that's what they're going to give us. Talking about tech in that, in that, you know, I mean, like the real big explosive over the top plays. After that pick, they kind of, you saw it. They went, okay, well, they're going to give us dink and dunk. We're going to take dink and dunk. And then they let their athletes make plays. Sometimes as an offensive coordinator, you can get a little itchy and try and go for the big home run play. And I felt like they did a good job of trying of, of not forcing that issue because you've seen sometimes, especially with Texas Tech historically, that's really where they try and get a lot of stuff off of it. And I don't know if that was us containing it as much or as they just – they kind of seemed very content and, okay, yeah. well, you're let us throw it five yards, we'll take it. And they did that in the first half, CJ. Well, that's what I'm saying. After that – But then in the second that, half – After which... that wide receiver – pass play right thing, which never really works i mean i don't even know why anybody has that in the playbook anymore i don't know about that man i, I mean it if you have if you don't you know overuse it and, and you have a guy you respect you know well yeah but i mean even if that's not a pick he throws it into double coverage that's one in film session you're going dude eat it like that that's that, that's my that's my one concern with him because you got guys out there that that's not something that they typically do a lot of, and you end up in situations where they just, oh, well, this is what it's supposed to be, and they just chuck. I mean, he threw it into double stinking coverage. Yeah, you know what, you're probably right. More or less it happens in, with college kids. They make the mistake, whereas in the pros, the, you know, the play seems to be made. Um, CJ, the one thing I did want to hit on with what you said, though, man, is that they they ended up making the big home run plays in the end, which they got kind of itchy, right? Because the big third downs and we had held them out the whole entire quarter, they only had two real big plays in the whole entire second half, and then a couple runs after the after the second big play. I mean, yeah, but so what sometimes I, but that can that work was, against you too. No, and it can, and and that big play, I mean, that came, you know, that that's you know man coverage right there. Um, you know, Porter's pretty much on an island right there by himself. I mean, those, those are the kind that you'll take. It, it's the ones where. I mean, they're early. It looked like we were, I mean, we were too high and we weren't because we weren't going to let them have that big explosive play. And I just didn't feel like I saw the motor out of the defense, you know, that gang tackling we've talked about. Talking about in the first half, correct? Yeah, in the first half. Yeah, Yeah. we're because that's what we did against Oklahoma. We made Spencer Rattler dink and dunk, but we flew to the football and that was so not there in the first half against Texas Tech. Zach, are we are we GGing you right now? No, absolutely not. I'm, okay, I'm I'm gonna, have it. I cut CJ off, and now I'm trying to <laughs> start paying forward. <laughs> no, I mean you guys are pretty much on it. it. It's a game that you didn't come in expecting to lose. I think everybody expected to win, and very disappointing to lose to them of all teams. Because, like you mentioned, you know, they've given us the business the past couple of years. They've been they've been the, probably the biggest thorn in Neil's, Neil Brown's side in his tenure at West Virginia. So it really sucked losing to them, especially the way it happened. You come out flat, get back into it in the second half, you make it seem like you're going to make the comeback. And then, you know, clock mismanagement, timeout mismanagement, self-inflicted wounds, again, you know, kind of a byproduct of this portion of the climb. It seems like you're just right there on the precipice. I mean, you've lost three games and they're all by combined 12 points. Like you're, you're right there. You just got to learn how to finish and in some cases how to start and play a complete game. We have yet to put together one complete game, you know, in the four 
real games we've played, it's always been, you know, we've played one half or the other. Most of the time it's been we've come out with a pretty decent start, have a good game plan, good scripted plays that work on offense, good start by the defense, and then fall flat in the second half. This time it was the reverse. I told my dad it was kind of like we kind of played the Virginia Tech role in our game against them a couple weeks ago where, you know, we came out on Virginia Tech right out the gate and blitzed them. Like, we were all over them. And we got out to the early lead in the second half. You know, Virginia Tech came back, and we pulled it out at the end. This is kind of the same thing, but in this case, we were Virginia Tech and Texas Tech with us. And it yeah. sucks to be on that side of things, you know? I, Zach, I, I, you know, I agree with that analogy. Only thing I would say is different is and something we still have not done as a football team, and I want to get everyone's opinion on this. I mean, we're not creating turnovers. I mean, mm. we have what two on the season? Is that correct? I believe so. That fumble that was caused. Uh, when was that? That was against Burmeister, yeah. And then the yeah. interception from Mahone. That's it. Yeah, yeah we didn't. Even, we didn't. And even then I think we might, we might be at three we? now. We might be at three. Did we even force one against LIU? Oh, that's right. I forgot we had another one. I forgot about the interception that Rattler threw. So that's three that I can remember. Yeah, yeah, we've got yeah two interceptions and then the, and the fumble. Yeah, I think and, we have three on the season. Yeah, and I mean, we're, and we're negative five overall on the on the turnover ratio. Mm-hmm. Huge. I mean, you know, it's crazy though because in eight games, five turnovers. Excuse me, in five games, eight turnovers isn't bad. It's really not. I mean, that's less than two a game. I think you can win with that. We're just not creating any ourselves, and we're playing such limited possession games. That's why we're losing these games. If we can start creating some turnovers, our defense is good enough to do it. That changes things in a big way for us. Yeah, Tony and Brad kind of mentioned it the other day. We don't have much room for error. I mean, we're we're a young team. We're still learning how to win, and when we when we hurt ourselves, even if it's you know one or two interceptions or a fumbling interception, something like that, a couple of turnovers, we can't really afford to have that happen because we're not really taking advantage of the other team's mistakes ourselves. So we don't have the opportunities to really make mistakes, and that makes it really difficult to win games, especially close games, because that's what ends up making the difference. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any there's any question about it, Zach. I mean, I think that just the, the thing that's unbelievable to me is that we've only forced three with the quality of defense that we play. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you gotta feel it's like got that's to go gonna, the other way eventually, right? Yeah, you gotta feel like that's gonna regress back, you know, towards the mean. I think the other thing too is is and, and Zach, this kind of makes to your point too, you know, where the margin of error isn't real good. I mean, we've got thirty two total penalties on the year, you know, six more for Saturday, you know, right around our season average forty eight yards and season average is fifty yards a game in penalties. And and it's not the the number, but it's it's when they come. They seem the to happen at the yeah the timeliness of them. They're at really inopportune moments, mm-hmm. and they and it's that it's that part of it that kind of rears its head again. And it's just and that's the other frustrating part of it is is staying mentally locked in in those moments and not allowing that margin of error to rear its head because sometimes the penalties are self inflicted and you they're fixable. A, but B, it's they're within your control, like a false start, you know, 
uh, snap infraction. All that mm-hmm. is stuff that's within your control. I get it. Sometimes you end up with your hand around the face mask. Or, you know, sometimes a holding call isn't necessarily a bad one if you keep your quarterback from getting absolutely drilled. But it it's the, the really stupid ones right now that seem to be getting us. That's That's the thing. It's the stupid ones that we – keep having it seems like the ones that you can kind of see happening just like the happenstance penalties those really aren't getting us we're not really making a lot of bad decisions in that regard it's the stuff like you think about Doug Nestor poor guy I mean he's played awful in that regard the past couple games against Texas Tech he had what two holds and two false starts in the same game that's brutal and they were extremely timely extremely timely I I was going to say that one drive ended up with the hold and then the false start and then the hold, like, on the same drive. So, I mean, it's just like, oh. Granted, you think about the two holding calls, if I'm not mistaken, both of the ones that were called on Nestor were on first down. So, it pushed us to first and 20 both times. We've still managed to convert, get a first down, despite the bad field position, the bad, you know, getting behind the sticks. So, it didn't hurt you, but it also, you know, obviously you don't want it, right? You you definitely don't want to have – we're not an offense that's built to be picking up multiple first and 20s, guys. I don't think there's any question about that. Although, well, yeah, and then the other thing, too, is is you end up with that on first down. Instead of first and 10, you're first and 20, and now you're off script, right? Mm-hmm. Now you're off what you want to do because now instead of, okay, well, first down, let's get, you know, four or five. Now it's, oh, well, we got to get like eight to 10 to put yourself in a second and, you know, somewhat manageable at that point so and that and that's the other hard part of it too hey guys can we talk about the offense real quick just just on a big picture micro level right um i like the way we run it it's rather efficient when it works but i think there's a lot of people that are just so down on it because we do have so many penalties but look at saturday in the second half that looked rather easy the entire second half until we in our one possession in the fourth quarter decide to really snail it down and then have to kick the field goal. I mean, is there anything else to say other than like, I mean, tell me your thoughts though. I kind of like offensively what we're doing and what we're about. We're executing pretty well other than just the occasional penalties in timely spots. We look good Saturday in the second half on offense. Yeah, that's the thing. It goes back to what I said. You're not putting together a complete game. A lot of times it seems like this season you come out starting off pretty well. Like, for example, Oklahoma, you have a plan. You run 17 plays, march all the way down the field and get a touchdown. Your plan works. And it kind of worked that way for the most of the first half. This time we just – well, you could not get anything going. I mean, you had, what, 100 total yards in the first half. It's not going to get the job done. Second half, like you said, you come out and you you start doing what you were expected to do to start, but you've already dug the hole. I mean, it's a lot to overcome. Say just a friendly reminder, guys, during all of your football season, there's really only one place to get all your information, and that's at walliesandwimpysports.com. Pick up the the print edition there at all of your local Parmar stores throughout the valley some exxons marathon sitcos anywhere with your neighborhood parmar star you can find some wallies and wimpies got all the schedules some insight jim and the boys do a great job and we're excited to partner with wallies and wimpies so definitely make sure that you're uh, looking for those when you go there and pay your gas uh, get your football schedules too so pick up your wallies and wimpies today and now back to the porch
And Zach, real quick, on that point, right, let's talk about the first half offense, right? So we have the, the, the drive that doesn't work inside the nine, you know, starting inside the nine after the pick. Terrible. Then the next drive's awful as well due to a penalty. Then the Garrett Green drive. Let's talk about that a little bit. I know you kind of want to talk about it. So give me your thoughts on what you saw during that drive and then the fact that we didn't see it again. Did you agree with it? I think you did at the time, obviously. I mean, here's the thing. Obviously, you have the drive. Garrett Green comes in. He leads the entire drive. He doesn't come out the whole time. They run 11 plays, marching down the field. They're getting chunk runs, and that was probably the best that Letty was able to run the ball for the most part. I mean, he only had a few carries, but he was getting decent chunks. But, I mean, we were we were moving it. And I think I think more what happened was I'm I'm not gonna say anything but positive things about Daigie from this game. He exactly. played very well. He played very well. It's the be- one of the best, if not the best game I've seen him play as far as, you know, putting the ball in spots. They needed to be put, hitting on the deep ball when he threw it. I mean, he had a couple gorgeous deep balls. I th- I thought he played very well. We we lost despite his effort. I mean, he he was one of the best things we had going in the game. Except for the one thing, which I will kind of split blame here, the last drive that we had that led to a field goal to tie it, you you miss Letty in the corner, which, granted, the ball hit Letty's hands. He should catch it. Unfortunately, there was no one within 10 yards of him, so it could have been a softer throw, something that maybe he could wrangle in a little better. So I'd, I'd put mutual blame on both of them, but you know, yeah, just, and just that, misplay. Yeah, and that and that's a tough one too because that's it, it's a running back. Thing, well, it's a running back, and the other thing we've seen too with with Deggy in his career, him throwing on the runs, I don't think mm. is most comfortable. And to his left, yeah. So that that's kind of a funky throw, but I'm I'm with you. That's one I know in film he's he's gonna want back. Um, you know, Letty's gonna want that play back too. Um, you know, and. And like you, like you know, we're talking about that Garrett Green drive. I mean, it was, it was, it it was, it was a good drive. We were getting, you know, we were moving the ball, and then on fourth down, I mean, he just, I mean, that's the complete wrong read. I mean, the end. Like, it was like it was kind of like NCAA football. He literally stopped and stood there and stared. You have got to hey. get that. And that's what Neil was yelling at him there. You got to give that. You got to read that in. That's the point. I, okay, but here's the thing on that, and I think here's what you got to think about on that play, especially that end is ready for Green to take that thing on the outside. That's what I'm saying. That's why he's going to give it. That's right. Garrett. No, no, no. I, to read that uh, but it wasn't a read, TJ. It. it wasn't it a was read. A that read. was a dumb Watch pass it. out to O'Laughlin. It was a read. It was an RPO, and he misread the end. Zach, what do you think on that? Watch his eyes. He was staring at the end. He made the wrong call. The, all right, Zach, what do you think? Hey, I might have to Break withdraw the from this one. I'm not what you'd call a hashtag football guy. I'm not really 100% sure on what that was supposed to be. <laughs> I just saw him roll out. Well, I'll just tell you. Coming across, yeah. I, think, I think he had the option, but I don't know if it was a designed run or not. I don't know if he was just trying to pull something out of his ass and flick it to him. But obviously the route was there on that side of the field. That kind of makes me think it might have been an option, but I have no idea. I, I guess me and you read the same because I haven't rewatched it on on anything. Just in the stadium, it looked like that was our typical little yeah that out was the flat to Laughlin. He, he held it in with Letty for so long and then pulled it, and he didn't read the end. And you could see him and Neil, and they showed it on TV. 
Neil was pointing at the end and Green was shaking his head, he misread that play. Because if and probably Letty doesn't pick it up either, but you've th- those are the things I think when this the, the coaching staff has said with him is I think sometimes he he gets in that mode where he's picking up yards and it's just like I'm going to do this and instead of just trust what you see. Well, you know what? I wish he'd rather just try to juke the guy out of it. It was the fourth and two. But, you know, I'm with you, CJ. Kind of felt like he got a little big. And he had all the momentum going. I mean, he was he was single-handedly why that drive was where it was at. And we had done nothing at that point. Runs, but, but also we had the false start, which put us in that situation as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The false start was 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 massive because that went from third and one to, to third and six. Yep. I mean <laughs> – because really, you look at it at that point in time after that, then we have the drive where we, again, you know, have have that – the only time that Daggy really had, an, had a bad situation happen to him all, all game was when we had the sack. That occurred that we got lucky to get back on, and then we ended up having a punt because we were actually moving the ball pretty well on that drive before that sack. Yeah, because – Hutchinson came through. I mean, un absolutely untouched. That that was, oof. Yeah, it, our offensive line play, I think, is is slowly getting better, but we still have our moments. That's for sure. Well, we have our moments, and then they showed an interesting angle from actually from behind the play on the replay, and and Texas Tech did a really good job. They he actually crosses over and comes down the middle. So, I mean, it's actually a really well-designed blitz. And, it, and it's one of those where you, you – I don't know if maybe they hadn't seen that in film, um, but that's definitely one I think you, you you go back and you maybe pay a little more attention to, and it's like, all right, we got to get a little better there. Um, but, I mean, basically they just – they ran a stunt essentially with a linebacker, and sometimes the offensive line, those are the ones they have trouble with. So, but – you know, you, you you watch the film, you work on it, you get better. Yeah, and I'm, and, and I'm sure that this young group is, and it's a very talented group, is continuing to get better all the time. I expect them to, be, you know, I hope I hope they play well Saturday against Baylor. That's going to be a tough assignment. That defense is good, but I think I think they're right for the picking, guys. I don't think that this Baylor team is what people think they are. I, I don't either. And the one thing that I, I really took away from this game, especially in the second half, and it was kind of the one thing we have talked about now for a couple of weeks, where was the the urgency to push the ball down the field? And I felt like in the second half, they just came out and said, you know what, we're just we're, we're going to attack. We're going to push the ball. We're going to take shots. We're going to take deep shots. And Deggy looked comfortable with it. Wide receivers made plays, got open, and we hit some really big, over-the-top plays, stuff we've been waiting to see. And that kind of gave me a little bit of confidence because now if you can consistently do that, you're going to pull those linebackers back, and hopefully that helps the offensive line and the run blocking. We desperately need that. Oh, yeah, desperately. Absolutely. Here's one thing that I hope worked out for us in our favor. I don't know really how explosive Baylor's offense is. I don't think that it's overly explosive. I know that Oklahoma State held them pretty tight, which Oklahoma State has a – Probably an underrated defense. They're a strong team on that side of the ball this year. Definitely agree with you on that, Zach. Definitely agree. So I'm hoping that we can kind of do the same thing to Baylor. But what we're going to have to watch out for is them doing to us what we kind of hoped we would do to Texas Tech off a loss, off a tough loss on the road. 
hopefully Baylor does what we did instead of what so it'll be it'll be a big a big recovery because you know losing to Oklahoma like we did something I think we were all generally happy about as far as I'm concerned is about as happy as you can be with one. So we obviously didn't expect what happened against Texas Tech to happen. Recovering from that is what really shows what you're made of. You know, coming off Oklahoma didn't meet expectation, but coming off that Texas Tech loss. It's going to show what we're all about and see what kind of resolve these guys have, kind of see how they can bounce back. So it'll it'll be a it'll be a big big game for them. Yeah, it, it will be. And you, you talk about it, Oklahoma or Baylor. This isn't you know the Art Briles RG three days where you know they racked up video game numbers offensively, um, and they don't. I don't think there is explosive, and I know a lot of it probably came against Texas Southern, but, I mean, they are averaging almost 400-and-some-odd yards a, a game, which is – a lot of that probably did come out of Texas Southern, too, but and, – And Kansas, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, you, you got to kind of take that with a little bit of, little bit of grain of salt. So, but hey, they, they have shown an ability to run the if, ball. If we're talking about ability to run the ball right, and I think maybe the best example we could give is the win over Iowa State for them, right, at home, they only had 282 yards of total offense to Iowa State's 479 and, and somehow wins the game, right? Um, they ran it 33 times for 123 in that game. So – I don't, I don't think that's something we can't stop. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't think it's something that we can't stop, you know. And, and and that's the thing is I don't think Baylor offensively is explosive and is, is all that, you know, dynamic, you know, that you're kind of you, – that maybe you might be used to in Baylor, you know, because even – because you kind of the, their national perception was is they were going to light the scoreboard up and pray to God they come up with enough stops. But I think defensively, that's a pretty decent unit they've got. Absolutely is because that's Dave Aranda's footprint on that's Wisconsin, that's LSU. He's he's definitely got the defense to that level that he wants it to be at. And also, you know, you take it from Matt Rule as a defensive guy, and we saw what Baylor was doing under him. So the offense is a little bit lagging behind, I think for sure. But I will say this. Jerry Bohan, the quarterback for them, is pretty efficient, doesn't make mistakes, um, has a little bit of mobility. We we need to kind of put some pressure on him and, you know, hit him a few times on Saturday for sure when he goes for runs. I mean, his, his longest, you know, and kind of best uh, game on the ground was 36 versus Iowa State. So he's not necessarily a, a, a great runner of the ball or really thought of as a runner, but he can do a little bit of it. I mean – yeah, and you know who, and it's it, and it's a comp. I'm not saying that he is, but his he reminds me a little when he kind of breaks out of the pocket, kind of a Taj Boyd, right? Taj Boyd at Clemson wasn't necessarily looking to beat you with his feet, just to extend plays, and that's kind of his feel. Like he's looking to extend the play, not necessarily just beat you with his feet. Kind of reminds me of Jarrett Brown a little bit, being six three two twenty. Yeah, that um, and that's probably doesn't pretty, make mistakes. Pretty, yeah, that's a pretty good call. Yeah, I forgot. Him. Yeah, you know. So I mean, I, I think. But uh, and the other thing is, I, you can definitely. Get, I mean, he's been sacked five times on the year. the The big thing for him, though, is is you because you talked about his efficiency, hasn't thrown the ball away yet. He's yeah. no t- no no interceptions to seven touchdowns. That is a 
as an offensive play caller, man, you'll take that ratio all day and all damn day. It's it's very impressive. Um, and I think something that's kind of interesting here is that this Abraham Smith at running back, right for them. I mean, averaging over a hundred yards, but he is not a blood, kind of breakaway guy by any means. Um, no, but he's he a is, plotter, but he, he has a little bit of girth behind him. I mean, 5'11", 225, big old kid from Abilene, Texas, man. I mean – Yeah, he's definitely the, the wrecking ball of the running backs. Yeah. They're well, and and the kid behind him, sure. Ebner's – and the kid behind him, Ebner's almost the exact same way. He's, what, like 215, 218. I mean, he's he's built kind of the same way. He can move a little better, though. Ebner can, Ebner can get up the field. Oh, yeah. I mean, Ebner's, Ebner's definitely the quicker of the two, but, I mean, they're both very physical, and I think that wears on defenses towards the end because you step up and you take those hits so many times. Eventually, you know, late in the fourth quarter, I think it's just like, oh, good Lord, we got to do it again. I don't think there's any question. Yeah, they got to do it again, and, and, and we're going to do the same thing to them. This under at 44-and-a-half, man, I mean, I know it's a low, it. low under, but I feel like you almost take it. Yeah, totally. I Talking about the – well, and I think that talks about the respect. Well, I think that over under talks at the respect level of what these two defenses are, too. Yeah, for sure. Talking about the betting side of things, I think it's interesting, at least on, on the side I'm looking at, it looks like Baylor is favored by two, which typically you think the home team gets three points. That kind of well, makes it, it almost op- a toss up. Yeah, it opened at three. Yeah. I, I'm still showing three years, Zach, to the. To, that the fact that it's went down to two, there's some sharp money on the Mountaineers. And I think rightfully so. Yeah, and I mean, those yeah, and those kind of games are going to be toss-ups. I mean, if, if it's two or three, basically what you're saying is, is oh, Baylor's favorite because they're at home. Uh, yeah, I mean, and and I kind of look at it, yeah, exactly, CJ. I mean, you get three teams for the home point um, for being the home squad. I, I look at it and say this r- real quickly. I think we're due – for a big win we're we're desperate for a big win and Baylor while coming off a loss I'm not necessarily sure that they're like desperate right now for a for a win right I think we're desperate I'm not sure Baylor's desperate and I think that means something in a big game like this especially when the talent level is pretty pretty even Granite's on the road for us, but I think the way limited possessions play, as long as we don't turn the ball over and maybe create a couple, I feel really good about Saturday. Well, I I, I think I don't think Baylor's desperate, but I think the one thing that they are staring at is is now they're they're two and one in conference. Right, CJ, but timeout, timeout. Let's talk about this just for a second. Nobody expected Baylor to be two and one in conference right now. Cool. They probably didn't expect that themselves. So they're a little bit ahead of schedule right now. Yeah, I mean, no, I would definitely, definitely agree with you on that. And I mean, you know, one of the teams above you is going to have a, have a loss after after Saturday too, right? Because OU and Texas play; they're both two and zero in conference play. Okay. So, but I think if you know, if you're Baylor, well, yeah, they're not going to be desperate. We need to be with two losses. Um, three losses puts you completely out of out of the Big Twelve championship picture there, there's just no way a three loss team is going to end up in dallas hey cj let's let's talk about that real quick the fact you even brought it up are you still thinking about that because i think at this point in time for me i'm like you know what i just want to see us progress and, and play good football this season i don't even care about a big 12 championship no i i don't care about the big 12 championship i mean because to be there would mean we're 
well ahead of schedule. But in that locker room, I think the kids are still thinking about it. Like that's still a goal that they wrote down, right? It, I love so the I fact think, that we that we're even thinking that way, though. And I agree with you. We should. Correct. I mean, obviously, we should be caring about. It. I mean, two losses, you can maybe sneak your way in. But yeah, I, I feel what you're saying, buddy. Absolutely. I mean, because everybody above you, outside of Texas Tech, you still have left on the schedule, so you can jump some of these teams. And I don't think you want to be zero and three to open the year in conference. That just that, that leaves a very sour taste, and it and it makes life a little harder. So, you know. That so I don't think Baylor's desperate, but I do think I, I don't expect them to to have one of those where they come out and come out flat either. But do you no, think I don't think I, could, I, I, I'd be shocked if they came out and blitzed us. Could could they? And I and I you know I know you brought this up the other week and I kind of poo pooed it, but BYU is now number ten in the country. Do you think Baylor might be looking ahead to that potentially? maybe I I think there might be more of a chance of that had they come out, had they beat Oklahoma state and been undefeated, maybe they start peeking ahead and, and who knows? I mean, even after that loss, maybe you're peeking ahead going, well, if we can go get Baylor, we, or we can go get BYU. We're going to put ourselves right back into the, into the national conversation where they, you know, obviously aren't now. I I, I don't know. I I feel like that might've been more of a spot had they, had they been coming into this one five and oh, I think at four and one now, maybe Miranda's kind of got them refocused, maybe a little like, okay, guys, you, you, you got patted on your back for four weeks. You just saw you're not quite good enough. And obviously, Baylor's thinking about this from the future Big 12 rivalry situation, trying to get that off on the, on the right note. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, like they give a crap about that this year. But <laughs> I do know what I, I mean, there might be a little something. Underneath the table, and some of those kids are thinking about, man, we going let's let's get these guys now. No, nah, definitely not. They don't give a shit. Yeah. No, definitely not. It's <laughs> it's all about this year. But hey, number ten though, they might care more about that than this West Virginia. You know, yeah, I don't know. It's a big game. It is. Yeah, and it, and it and it and it's a possibility. I mean, you're talking about 18, 19, 20 year old kids. Who knows what they're thinking? But we did beat them last year in double OT. Um, or not in double OT, but in overtime. And you know that, that was that's a tough one for Baylor to swallow. So they're they're not going to be overlooking us, with with no question. I just I want to see them come out angry. I want to oh. see them go to Waco and want to put their foot in Baylor's ass and yep. really just bounce back. I mean, two heartbreaking losses at the very end of the game in a row after such an emotional win against Virginia Tech. I mean, they've they've really gone through it the past couple of weeks. And, you know, they they really need to right the ship, and I think they all know that. So hopefully they can pull it all together and get a big W here because they certainly need it. No doubt, Zach. No doubt. I mean, I don't think there's any any question that that's – I think it goes to the trajectory of where we're at as a program, right? I mean, if you think about the climb in general, I mean, 12 and 13 now, um, and – Seven and twelve now in the Big Twelve with some of these losses at the end of last year and the year before that. Uh, it's very intri- very intriguing. That this game means a lot. I mean, he's seven and twelve with a lot of tight losses in the Big Twelve here. I think four of the last five by less than a touchdown. We need to get us a big one here Saturday. And we've always played well against Baylor in the Neil Brown era, even the great rule team on that Thursday night, we went down there and 
Winston Wright returned that kickoff, you know, on Halloween night in that rock fight. And then last year with the dub. So uh, Neil Brown and the boys have played well against Baylor. I think it continues Saturday. No, I, I'd agree with that. And yeah, I mean, that's what makes it tough. And, you know, I, <clears throat> I went back because Blaine and I, we had said this, you know, shortly, I think right after Neil got hired, we, we kind of compared him and the way he carries himself, the way he talks, the way he builds programs, kind of that Dabo Sweeney club. Mm-hmm. And I went back and, and looked and Dabo took over in 2008 he took over a team that, that, you know, had some hype behind it, was preseason ranked, didn't get started off that well. Terry Bowden gets fired, Dabo takes over. But nine and five, six and seven, 10 and four, and then, you know, 11 and 11, 10, 14, 14, and started really kind of running that off. And it got me to thinking because of where, you know, Neil is. Neil inherited a program that was nowhere near kind of what Dabo had. He's, he's building to that. And, Dabo also didn't have to deal with in his second year or third year this all this COVID crap, right? Last year, this is almost like year 2.0. Like it, it's it's year two all over again because now he's had the camp and had all of that. So I think in the process of it, we have to do kind of keep that in mind. He's building this thing. Yeah, at times this climb is going to be frustrating, but anybody who's ever climbed a mountain or a rock wall knows it's frustrating and it's hard. Just give it allow it to breathe give it some time i actually want to mention something about that so i mentioned uh Caridi and brad howe earlier so i don't know if you guys listened to their podcast from i believe it was yesterday or the day before reviewing the loss to texas tech tony kind of broke down the pro prospects that new head coaches have inherited in their tenure did you all hear anything about that I haven't got a chance to listen yet, Zach, so you're enlightening me right now. Yeah, I haven't had a chance either. So I'm trying to remember this exactly right, and I'll I'll probably mess it up at least a little bit, but the point will still remain. So they talked about how when Don Nealon came in, he – there were eight guys that were recruited by the previous staff that ended up playing in the NFL, either being drafted or signed as free agents, right? Gotcha. Absolutely. Okay. So then, and basically, you're talking about what the coach was left with from the previous, right? Week. Exactly. And I think you got how, how, how stock was that covered, my friend? You know? you know? Yeah, exactly. And you're, I think you're going to see already exactly where I'm going to be going with this because we've talked about how bare the cupboard was left after Dana departed to Houston. Yes. So eight for Nealon. After Nealon leaves, Rich Rod left with eight guys as well who ended up playing in the NFL. Um, okay, so it was, and you know what? That's probably fair because at the end of the Neyland era, I mean, we were fielding good football teams, but we weren't fielding teams with a lot of pros, right? And, and Boulder had just left too. Mm-hmm, exactly. So then you move on to Coach Stu. I believe they said he had nine that um, hmm. ended up playing in the league from Rich Rod. What he left over, um, so pretty decent, pretty good, consistent streak there. Then you get to Dana, which you know. The gap between um, Rod and Dana, they're probably some carryover of guys from Rod's recruiting class, the last he had before he took off to Michigan, and what Dana had in his first year. Dana had 10 guys who ended up playing hey. from the previous regime. Also, Stu did a heck of a job in recruiting oh, along oh, yeah. with Doc Holliday. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No getting around that whatsoever. 
No doubt. They shouldn't have played the old Golden Blue. Not this night. So then you get to um, Neil taking over for Dana Holgerson. Do you have any guesses? And I'm trying to remember exactly. I'm actually looking at the roster right now as I'm talking, trying to remember if I'm right or not. Do you have any guesses as to how many players have been – which, granted, this is his third year. He hasn't actually gotten through a whole recruiting cycle, a recruiting class from – For Dana's last guys, right? Right, from Dana's last guys. So I'm going to go with two. CJ? Yeah, I, I, I definitely would have said under five. I'm going to go four. I think the number was actually four. But I'm having a hard time remembering. The only name I remember them mentioning was McKivitz. Same, Zach. McKivitz for sure. I'd have to go back and listen, but it wasn't a lot. It was significantly fewer than the other guys that I'd mentioned had. You know, Neyland, Rod, Stu, Dan. We- they all had more to work with in that department. Which, granted, that's not a direct you know, correlation. It really makes a difference. I mean, what you're left with to take over, it, it impacts how you get going in your in your tenure. So, obviously, things are going a little slow. Many aspects are attributed to that. You know, first year was his first year. Last year was COVID. This year, you know, we're still kind of seeing what's going on. I think the climb is evident and we're getting closer, but it helps to have some guys that, you know, you that you can lean work on. with right off the bat. Right. Guys you can lean on, guys that are experienced, guys that are really skilled and developed. I mean, you think about guys that he brought in who are in the league now, Tony Fields. Um, there was another one that he mentioned as well, but I mean, at the moment, I mean, Darius Stills is obviously on a roster before he got cut. Mm-hmm. That was a that was a day in the guy, of course, which we managed to get him in order to get Dante in all in all likelihood. But hell, we all see how Darius turned out. But it that's the thing; it it does make a difference. Neil's obviously getting guys in that are going to be playing in the league. There's no question about it. It's just taking a little more time than maybe it would have if Dana hadn't left him almost nothing. Well, and, I, and and the big and the big thing I take away from that is, you know, Neilan recruited, Stu recruited, Rich recruited, Dana didn't. Dana's was all transfer guys, and it, you know it was. And he famously said it. He doesn't like to go out and recruit. He doesn't like to visit these guys. He doesn't like to go to players' homes. It's just not what he likes to do. And it's very tough to be a successful head coach, especially in college, if you're not willing to go recruit. I mean, heck, he had a kid in Huntington that was begging to come to WVU, but because he didn't, Dana never even bothered to drive to Huntington. Uh, the old Darnell Wright story. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, think that, about how I many those other kids from that area are now here with us Nestor, Milam. Yeah. Um, Bryce Biggs. Yeah. Well, I mean, they said it on the telecast. I mean, half the reason Nestor came back, Nestor came in, is because Neil got the job, and he he didn't want to play for Dana. I mean, Dana was, and I, I I like this analogy. Dana was the old uncle, kind of um, who kind of hobnobbed in the room, kind of was was interesting, intriguing, fun, but wasn't the guy who was anyone looked to, right? for leadership and anything like that. Yeah, he's like the uncle who shows up at the family reunion, and you're like, oh, all right, we're going to have fun. But then after the family reunion, you're like, yeah, I don't want to see that guy again. Yeah, you're like 16 years old, and you're like, oh, shit, yeah, Uncle Dana's going to give me some booze under the table. Let's get it. <laughs> you, you know Uncle Dana will give you booze. Red Bull Red Bull and Vodka is on Dana all day. <laughs> Without question. And okay, maybe a shocker hat as a parting gift. Hey, oh, beautiful. <laughs> Best Christmas ever. Zach, I- I got yeah, dude. If you give me a shocker hat, I think I would would literally um, 
Oh man, I don't know. To go along with the old Dana Holgerson, uh, we're we're gonna go and win the fucking game versus Texas shirt that I have that I had for like three weeks before it became non-existent to the planet. <laughs> Zach, I, I was looking here, did a little research real quick. As of right now, I, I'm gonna say there are two guys, dude. I don't know where you where we're getting the four from because you got Kenny Robinson and Colt McKivitts. If you want to include Stills, who's not on our roster, three. Who's the fourth, man? He brought in Tony Fields. Yeah, you got to think Robinson ended up not even sticking with the team. Yeah. Yeah, and had a good little XFL stint. Yeah. I mean, I think all he had was McKivitz really coming in that first year. And then last year, he obviously had Stills. Mm -hmm. Um, And then this year, you know, there's still a little bit of the Dane influence, obviously, on this team. But they bought into the Neil Brown way and trusting the climb. Letty Brown's going to be one of those Dana guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, the, the cover was pretty pretty bare, especially on the opposite side of the football. I don't think there's any way to deny that. I, I wanted to mention something, too, at the end, but I was like, nah, I'll just save it. But I want to tell you guys something. I was thinking about this yesterday, the day before. I think it was yesterday when I was watching the first half. Um, I just got to thinking about, like, where this team is, especially offensively. And – in all likelihood, this offense isn't going to reach any kind of peak as far as what we can see in the Neil Brown era. But you look at what is being set up for the next year or two with the, how young this offensive line is, how many really good young weapons we have, the good, really good recruits we have running back. I mean, it might be Marchiol who comes in and does it in his first or second year. He's the guy who really gets to take the reins cool. of offense. It's- and have you but watched it's gonna him be this year? Absolutely stellar, man. Yeah, yeah. even maybe the year after, it's going to be outrageous. Yeah, Nico is putting on some film. That's all I'm like. The kid Dude's is a stud, freaking unreal. Yeah. I mean, hey, when you puke on the ball and then, and then throw, <laughs> shit is crazy. I mean, that's wild, dude. An 18 That'll point comeback in a minute with the Mountaineer fans. Yeah, an 18 point comeback, like He's a gamer. He uh, with a minute and what thirty five seconds? I mean, absolute game. Unbelievable! Yeah. And I, waving I, his coach off that I'm not coming out of the game. No, I loved it. Said, fuck that! I and I'm such a I'm such a nerd about this kind of stuff. I feel like if you have a name, it, it really kind of matters. Nico's a badass name. Nico <laughs> is going to be our dude. Now here's the question: Gary Green's your dude right now. Yours especially, right? Hey, Nico, yeah, you're a big that. double G right. fan, man. Nico's not here yet. Oh, okay. That's... I'd be singing a different tune if that were the case. I do love Garrett. <laughs> I do love Garrett. <laughs> I love it. So let me, hey, ask, let me ask this getting... question oh, real quick because I know we were talking about, you know, guys that he's got coming in. And I know COVID kind of changed it because everybody got an extra year of eligibility. Does that mean Letty could come back again next year? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Sure oh, could. Frank, yes. I don't now, see but he could. See, I'm with you, Zach. I don't see it either. And I hate to say that I don't see it because I wouldn't be – I don't know. I just don't see it. I don't know why. Running backs hope, are different, man. You gotta, yeah. you got, you can't put that much tread on the tire. But here's True. the one thing, though, that could make it happen, right? But running backs have been so devalued. Yeah, exactly. So maybe he's a third, fourth round pick. Maybe Letty really wants to have some big aspirations in college because he does have a name. If we were a, a big time contender and he was running behind that line and putting up huge numbers next year. He could he could get some real real big accolades potentially, um, 
and could be a part of officially finishing the climb. How built is he, is he into it? If he's really bought into it, maybe he wants to see the top of the summit, which could be potentially even next year. And I'll tell you one thing that a lot of people that I've heard of anyway haven't really talked about as far as NIL, NIL is concerned. I feel like that could be one thing that kind of keeps guys in college right. next yep. year too because guys that are really you know have family situations where they want to make money and help their families out, NIL can help them do that in college and they aren't like so you they're know, not pressed. They're not so they desperate to get yes. to the league and try to make some money. Yes, that's such a great point, Zach. Such a great point. Although the only thing about it is, is that I guess in the end, are you going to make more money potentially being the starting running back at West Virginia or being a fringe third practice stringer squad slash guy. practice squad guy mm-hmm. for the New Orleans Saints? That's I mean, question. Well, no, I, I think that's a legitimate question to ask of it too. But I think too, if you look at it, I think potentially you could because a lot of the, a lot of your top athletes. Now, granted, it's top tier athletes, or you know, they're making their money off of commercials, right? They're making their off of endorsement deals. So, I think it could be enough to where you're like, you know what, this is enough for me to, to push it and and to be there. Yeah, and I think I think the NL the NIL could. Now, I know when you talk about your top tier athletes. And granted, I understand it's the top tier, but the majority of them are going to make the majority of their money off of commercials. And um, so, but when you start looking at it, that versus, you know, being a late round pick, being way down on the depth chart or even practice squad type of money, I think it's going to end up even in its way out. And some of those fringe guys are going to go, you know what? I can stay in college another year, have some fun with my guys enjoy that little bit of life, still have the money to help take care of my family. So I think in some regards, it's going to help on that. Now it's not going to keep your third round and up guys. I think there as long Mm -hmm. uh, based on position, obviously, but I think it may be enough to help kind of keep some of these kids there a little longer. And also I think it'll help maybe them in their pursuit of their degrees too. those guys that are kind of on the fringe. Bingo. I think that's where it's really going to find its way in in helping. I agree, CJ. I think the degree part's a huge part of that because if they can make good money and support a family while they're still getting a degree, then they have that that they can that any athlete can use at that point in time to enter the real world, and they get to have that, that next season, that last season with their with their teammates they've grinded with for all that time. That dream of being a pro obviously is a big deal, right? So to say you did it is something special. So that's going to be a play a part of it in it too for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that that's the way I look at it. Um, so I think, you know, for Letty, like you said, it's going to be how invested is he, you know, really into this? Does he want to see the top of it? Or, you know, does he look at it as a running back and go, OK, I've taken these hits. I've taken I've put in all these tread on the tires. My shelf life in the NFL short. Let me go see if I can grab it and run with it. 100 percent. That's that's the big thing, especially with running backs. I mean, it's a lot different because your shelf life isn't quite as long. At that position. Hey, and Zach. That's to, a big part of it, too. Yeah, and Zach, and to bring home the whole point that you brought up, because if you have him with all this, wow, is it scary. But, you know, we keep hearing about Johnson, right? And Anderson finally got into camp, so mm-hmm. the coverage's not bare. No, not at all. And, I mean, Mathis is still a young guy, a lot of potential there. A very Sparrow, another young guy, good change of pace back. We've, we've got some depth of the position, without a doubt. 
Yeah, we've got some depth there, and I thought Neil's comments were were kind of intriguing um, in the in his lead up. You know, the press conference I think he had what yesterday or the day before in talking. You know, they've got to find a really reliable number two to kind of get some of those carries and hits off of Letty. And even um, just snaps, CJ. He talked mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, it's not even hits. Yeah, keep him fresher for the fourth quarter because mm-hmm. if he's got a little more gas, even if he doesn't get hit, that could play a big, big role. And I think it depends on who's the best receiver out of the backfield because that's something still we haven't used Letty as much as I would have thought we would up to this point in the season. Well, and I think some of it other on that too is, is I think – what they're also looking for is a guy who can who can step in there for that extra protection because we've seen Letty stick his nose in with linebackers and at least chip them or block them. And I think maybe that's what they're looking for too is somebody willing to stick their nose in there and do that aspect of it. And I think that's one thing that maybe Mathis struggles with a little bit. He's still a young back. And, I mean, obviously freshman running backs, you know, Johnson in this case, coming from high school, not quite as Whole much- new world, like, as Ariel would say. Whole, whole new world. <laughs> Oh, new world! Oh, Absolutely, with new exciting things. I don't. I'm no, not. Zach, I thought you hated. Disney. Wasn't wasn't my favorite. No, movie. I didn't say I hated Disney. I said I hated the company, not the product. Get it straight. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! No, it's 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 a big deal for that aspect. I mean, that's that's a big thing with tight ends too. Like when you see them go to the NFL, and that's one thing with rookie tight ends, especially when they go to the league. If you can't if you can't block, you're not going to see the field no matter how damn talented you are as a pass catcher. It's just not going to happen. Now, that's actually, the kind of thing with running backs too. Yeah, in the exactly. Crowd. I was going to say I think it's almost the same in the NFL for running backs. If they for can't sure. protect or yep. chip a little bit, they're done. Yeah, if you can't be a if you can't be a three down back in the NFL, it's going to make your life very very tough and your shelf life even shorter. So we're talking about the future here, but we got to talk about Saturday. What's going to happen? I know, Zach, you already deferred once. Are you still going to defer? Like, we haven't officially, officially done the predictions yet. No, I, I'll, I'll kick us off. Okay. I, I think I think the number is pretty good. I think the spread is pretty solid. 44, you said. Is that what it was? 44 and a half for that, for that total. 44 in the hook. So, I would say that's pretty accurate. I'm going to make it 24 to 20. West Virginia on the road, keeping it just under. But I would still smash that under because it could come in even lower than what I'm predicting, honestly, even though it's floating around the right number. Um, I think it could definitely be a defensive struggle. Um, but I'm I'm hoping, the, like you said, just getting some turnovers, man. We got, we got to turn them over and hopefully not make the mistakes ourselves. But Hannon has not had an interception this year. Hopefully we can we can change that. The defense is going to be hungry. They are obviously yep. going to be fired up. But speaking of hungry, Zach, I'm seeing the smoked brisket for Chipotle. Oh, no free ads, but damn, <laughs> hope we're eating that good on Saturday defensively. You know, absolutely. Yeah. So what's your score? Twenty four twenty. Twenty four twenty. I like it. I like it, man. Um, CJ, I just saw the commercial. By the way, I'm a little uh, behind. Right, Good mean so watching some baseball too. I see on a on a Wednesday night there, Zach. I love exactly. it. Exactly. You mentioned on a Wednesday night. What the hell else is on? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's well, Zach kicked us off. He kind of stole my thunder a little because um, <laughs> you're thinking kind of in the lines I am. Um, but I actually had it a slightly different. Mine is a point different. Twenty four, twenty one. The Mountaineers. Except this time we walk it off. Casey Leg at the gun. 
The leg. The I leg. like it. Legatron. The leg. Fellas, I don't think it's going to be as close as you guys think it is. Oh, boy. I'm going West Virginia 28, Baylor 13 on Saturday. I think our red zone defense will be exceptional. I think we might force Jerry Bohannon into a mistake or two. And I believe we're finally going to finish drives in the red zone against Baylor. Expect a big day from Letty Brown. I think they're gettable on the ground. About 155. They give up 155 through the air, too. But I think I think we'll run the football effectively. I think what we saw in the second half Saturday against Texas Tech is more what we're going to see offensively. Like we talked about pushing the ball down the field. Esdell had himself a day. There is some uh, some depth chart things to look at there. Prather may finally get a little bit of time. I think we might try and take the top off the defense a little bit, as Randy Moss would say. You know. Ball deep, take the top off the defense. If I can't get to it, to it. nobody can't get to it. Um, I believe the Mountaineers are going to get this thing done in a big way, uh, and we're all going to be happy. Just one thing real quick. You mentioned how you think they're gettable on the ground. Can we just talk about something real quick? How about Gundy put on the ground 59 times? I think you see something, right? 59 times. Think that was a game plan or what? <laughs> Let me ask you. Might have been discussed once or twice. (laughs) Let me ask you this: since since we were talking about you know the over under and the betting aspect of it, let me give you a little over under here. Over under WVU penalties at four. Over. Absolutely over. If I moved it to five, still say over. I just if can you give me five and a half. If you okay, give me five, five and a half, I might be a little scared. I'm taking the under at five and a half. I think we'll get five Saturday. I hope we get five Saturday. I I, I just, can live with five, right? Their lack of discipline in that way is bothersome. But, I mean, something's got to give. They've really got to get it straightened out. So, we'll see. Yeah, I just that that to me is going to be kind of an interesting key to watch is not only just the number, but, you know, the, as we've said, the timeliness of them when, when they occur. How about this? Over under one and a half forced turnovers for the Mountaineers. Over. over. I, I, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go over. I think over oh. is a very, very good recipe. Um if we can get a couple and play clean football, not have any ourselves, that would be that 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 goes a long way. I think the football gods are due to help us out a little bit. And we said that last week. And I know happened? we did. I yeah, know. but now 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 you're tempting tempting the football gods. They don't like that. <laughs> No. They're not the same. They're not the same as the baseball gods, guys, and it's not even close. Baseball gods are vengeful bastards. Yes, they they, re- they seriously are. CJ knows all about it. Yes. Oof. Yes. Sorry, man. Had, no. had to dig. Had to, had to do it. Had to do it. No, one. you're 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 totally fine. Um, I do want to say one thing uh, to our listeners out there. Um, if you haven't yet, we are new on Twitter. Uh, you know, hop over there, give us a follow at Porch Sports Pods. It's Porch Sports Pod. Um, is the handle hop on over there give us a follow um heck if you want to tweet us out some questions if we feel any of them are good enough to make the cut we'll 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 try and get them on the air too cj with the plug with the plug <laughs> shameless sh- shameless plug but it's okay yeah and 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 i'll tell you what too had some discussions earlier this week with uh with one of those listeners and i kind of want to give you guys this real quick we'll go ahead and just open this up uh, kind of a question question thing here um 
What do we think is our ideal quarterback situation for next year? Oh, that's juicy. Yeah, and and kind of um, you know, Jared Jared says essentially he's like you know, Deggy back for one more year, redshirt Nico allow Will Crowder and or Greer to transfer potentially, and we could even get four years as Nico as a starter, like with that veteran group around him. Um, things are being exciting and flashy, but you know. Feels like he doesn't have a good feeling about him handling all the snaps. I, I'm going to just kind of run with the word you used, and it was ideal. The most ideal situation, in my opinion, is Nico comes in, and I feel like Daigie would have to be gone for this to be the case. So for that for that specific uh, point, I'll say Daigie doesn't return, decides to finally hang it up after 18 years in college. Or he could pull the Austin Kendall and transfer. Also very possible. Crazy transfer rules these days. You can do whatever the hell you want. So I would say ideally, Nico comes in, blows everyone away, and shows that he's going to be your guy right off the bat. You know, obviously going to be some adjustment, going to be some growing pains here and there, but hopefully he can show that he can be the guy, he can be a dude, and he takes us on the next step of the climb. Because if you can get that right off the bat, you got something cooking. I, yeah, you're, you're kind of in that camp with kind of wanting the weirdly wanting four years of him. I wouldn't mind having Deggy still around and maybe Nico just p- pushes himself onto the field anyway, you know. But having Deggy is that kind of that insurance policy at that point because I think Green or Crowder one will transfer at that point in time if Nico is what he is and Deggy's still around. Or do you like it better with Green being the backup? Probably would be more of an intriguing situation for sure. And you know you'd have some type of offense if Nico were to go down, if he is that guy. I mean, it's so tough to see, but I mean, man, what we saw of him in that comeback. Whew, I mean, it it's got me it's got me a little flirtatious. I'll tell you that. Yeah, and that and that's and the, he came up through the section, by the way, too, CJ. We forgot to tell everybody about that, Zach. How did we forget that when we got on Nico talk? Sorry, CJ. Huge. No, it had fine. to be talked about. Um. And I, I kind of yelled at, "We need you." That was in the that was in the second quarter. All he did do that. All discretion. <laughs> no alcohol in the system at that point. It was completely sober. Uh, there there was some alcohol in the system I was at that say, point, I, but I know that but not that right. much. It was it, we we were definitely within our right mind to say it. We definitely did at that point in time. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the question's interesting because it is you know what's the ideal situation. Um, and I'd love to see Nico come in and, and just take the reins in camp and just pull everybody away. Um, that's, that's really hard to do. I think as a freshman, uh, when you come in and there's some guys that have already been there a couple of years. Um, I do think you are right though. I think either Crowder or green transfer out it, to me. If I, if you had, if you made me pick who transfers, I think it's green. Um, Agreed simply just because I think the kid's demeanor and his attitude is he wants to play now. Um, and I'm not so sure. I think the only thing really keeping him above Crowder now maybe potentially is his mobility. Um, but then again, it's hard to tell too, cause we, you know, nobody's really seen goose. I mean, he got very limited action in LIU. So who knows what's the yeah. difference there is. I, I do think ideally, I think you would like to maybe see Deggy come back. Um, and let him be that mentor role for Nico, right? Just hand the reins over to him. Let Deggy kind of be the guy to teach him, to work with him, to be his big cheerleader, right? Exactly. And we always hear Neil Brown talk about how prepared Deggy is, how prepared he is. 
Yeah, right? so I think that, that that would be ideal. And then if something would happen, you've got a guy you can turn to that knows the offense, that knows the system, that knows the guys in the locker room. I think to me that would probably be the most ideal situation, but I don't know if it plays out that way. Also, just to make a comment about who might transfer between Green and Crowder, I think another thing that kind of would play into the thing that, you know, the thought that Green would be the one to transfer out, next year would be his third year in the program. I think by then he would kind of be like, okay, if I'm not the guy now, I'm not going to be Crowder, this being his first year, not really the same mentality, right? So I think I think that's another thing to aid in that transfer if it shook out that way. Yeah, absolutely. Which look at us talking about him possibly transferring when a week ago I was like, hey, let's give the ball to let's give the ball to GG, huh? <laughs> Crazy hey, times. You were his what? biggest you were his biggest cheerleader two weeks ago. <laughs> Zach hey, is still, officially on it. Zach has officially become the backup quarterback. Like whoever's number two Ooh. on the depth charts automatically his face. Zach, don't go the way of Brad. Okay. Uh, hey, whoa. You pumped those effing brakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying, because, I mean, you were like, oh, yeah, we got to get Nico. And it's like, whoa, dude, we, we, where's your boy hey, Garrett Green at? And, hey, I do love Nico. I can't, and, I can't I know, hide it. Hey, I, 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 dude, I'm with you. I, I love everything about that kid. And, and, and you know what, guys? And speaking of, I mean, I, I kind of wish that we'd keep going with what we were going there. But speaking of. It's like, bitch, I live in a fucking trash can. Brad, we said we were going to do it. Oh shit! Here we go. Do we do we want to do it real quick, CJ? Or did you just forget? I honestly almost even... forgot about how stupid the thing he was that made me like say like I wanted to go after him. I just like three days later. Token, I'm like, well, do all he even, does. Do we so. even pay him any attention? I say no. I say he's I agree. Not worth it. Yep, we're I, done. Yeah, I, I stopped following the page. I mean, it's it's getting ridiculous. I mean, hell, Tony called him out, not by name, but a couple of podcasts ago, clearing up, you know, the, the ACC quotation that that Brad supposedly gave him. I mean, it's 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 clickbait and it's trash. And if you're still following that page, do yourself a favor. Just unfollow it. What else can be said? That's a PSA. Till next time, y'all. Let's take it easy. Let's go Mountaineers. Let's go drink some beers. Let's get a damn win. All let's right. Cou- let's, let's light up a couch. Sucks to be you. I don't know about lighting up a couch, CJ. I'm all maybe, about burning a couch, baby. Maybe, maybe, a, maybe a victory stogie to get back to three and three, and get into a bye, and then a trip down to TCU and really kind of grind away at the second half. Let's go, you know. Let's get it. Got to get back to three and three. Till next time, y'all. Let's go, Mountaineers. Let's go drink some beers. Yeah.